going on, everyone? And welcome into Plazon's podcast, filled to the brim with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so cold that they're boiling hot. We've got another jam-packed show for you today. We're talking college football signing day. We're talking our best NBA supporting cast members. We're getting right back into Plaisance locks. And last but not least, we're hopping back in to our NBA top 100 players of all time list. We've got number 93 today. So let's get started first with National Signing Day. All right. There's a lot of news to talk about. First, Alabama hasn't missed a beat. I know that they finished the regular season 10 and 2, but guess what? They're on pace to shatter the recruiting record. They are projected to secure six top 25 players, according to 247 Sports, and Nick Saban is right where he wants to be. This is revenge season next year for him, and he has got his players coming in. I can't believe that Alabama has secured such an incredible class based on this subpar season that they had this year. And that being said, Texas A&M, oh my goodness, they've taken such a huge hit. They started out before November ranked number two in 2023 recruiting. They now rank number 14. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot when you're just a regular college football team, but when you're Texas A&M and you're paying Jimbo Fisher like $90 million over the next seven years, oof, that is not a good sign. I genuinely think this season is the epitome of what it means to run a college football program into the ground. I don't know how Texas A&M recovers here, because they definitely can't pay out Jimbo Fisher's $86 million buyout. Uh, I guess they could, but they're not going to. That's $86 million to pay a coach to not coach a team. Ridiculous. And that's why Texas A&M has lost so many recruits. They just can't get the job done on the field, and that's why they can't get the job done when it comes to those players signing that piece of paper. Now, moving on from that, let's talk about the programs that are in rebuilding mode. A lot of those programs did well. Miami with Mario Cristobal, Texas with Steve Sarkeesian, LSU with Brian Kelly, and Notre Dame, all third, fourth, fifth, and sixth respectively in recruiting this year. Now, these are all coaches in their first and second year of their rebuilds. I am honestly so shocked to see that, but that moves into my next point. And now with NIL, it is time to face the fact that big brands matter. Let's talk about three staple programs that are in smaller markets that are not doing well in recruiting right now. Michigan State, 29th. Ole Miss, 32. Auburn, 24th. Now, now those all have their own niche things that make them special, but what they don't have is a big market. Like Ole Miss has Lane Kiffin, and Mel Tucker at Michigan State is, that's something to write home about. I think he's a good coach. Now, they didn't have a great season, But Lansing, Michigan, and Michigan State are just not as big of a draw as the biggest program in the Big Ten, Michigan. It's hard to compete. It's the same down in the South with Auburn and Alabama. We have two five-star players that are going to sign today, and Auburn is not in their top three choices. But they're from Montgomery, Alabama. Auburn is only 45 minutes away from there. Why is that? It's probably because of NIL. It's probably because there's not big brands down there to support them. Now, Alabama is in the middle of Podunk Holler. Tuscaloosa is a college town, but they've been winning now for years, so they have that on their side. It's And once again, it's the same thing with Ole Miss. Ole Miss has got Lane Kiffin, who's probably the best or second best offensive mind in the entire country. They're not getting a good recruiting class this year. 
and it's solely because of money. Lane Kiffin has said it countless times. This is just now free agency, and that's that's putting it pretty blunt. I, I totally agree. Now, is there anything wrong with what's going on? I don't think so. I made the case that big brands in college football, that's good. We love to see when USC and Miami are good. When they're competing at the top level, there are more fans interested in the game. There's not a lot of Mississippi State fans around the country. Now, when you talk about Mississippi, yeah, sure. But does that matter when it comes to improving the brand of college football as a whole? That's a no, in my opinion. A big no. And that's why I support what's going on right now in college football. And that's why I like to see that Texas, Miami, LSU, and Notre Dame are all top 10 in recruiting. All staple college football programs. Now, last but not least, when talking about this college football national signing day, Colorado didn't have a lot of big splashes. Now, give Deion Sanders credit. He hasn't had a lot of time to do some recruiting in Colorado, and he's going to make a lot of splashes in the transfer portal. But, I mean, only 13 three-stars and one four-star, that's not a great recruiting class. But, like I said, Deion Sanders still has a good chance of making a big splash in the Pac-12 next year solely because he's going to hammer it home in the transfer portal. He's going to bring his son in to start a quarterback, and his son is pretty damn good. I thought this National Signing Day was pretty eventful, and I was a fan of it. So I look forward to National Signing Day later on in the year, uh, probably in April, to finish up those last bits of recruits. But uh, yeah, Alabama really taking the day in National Signing Day. Okay, so let's talk about now the supporting cast members of the NBA and who I think are my top five NBA role players, okay? Now, not everyone can be a star in this league, and the best role players are players that fill out rosters in the league that have holes in them. So would they be as good on other teams or in other systems? Maybe, maybe not. These are the top five, in my opinion, role players who would fill in a lot of different spots on a lot of different teams. Number five, Marcus Smart. I think Marcus Smart is one of the best defenders in the league. He was the defensive player of the year last year. He's not really a scorer, but he brings energy and he brings playmaking. He is the heart and soul of this Boston Celtics team. And honestly, for a role player, that is so important. You have to bring the energy because you lack things like shooting talent or dribble moves. So I love Marcus Smart. I think what he does for those Boston Celtics is the reason that they were catapulted into the finals last year. He's the best defensive player on the best defensive team. That's a, that's a pretty good case for top five on this list. Number four, let's talk about Brooke Lopez. This guy is probably the most defined role player out of everybody in this list, and that's just because his job is simply to block shots and shoot threes. And he's shooting 50% of his shots from three, and he's making 40% of them, not to mention he's blocking 2.7 shots per game which is top 10 in the NBA right now. He's averaging 14 points per game, getting about six rebounds per game. Now Giannis takes a lot of those rebounds, but Brooke Lopez does his job. He plays about 29 to 30 minutes a game, and he is perfectly fine out there. You don't have to be a 15-minute-a-night role player to make this list. This guy's a bona fide starter, but he's also fitting his role perfectly. Number three, Colin Sexton. This is my six-man-of-the-year candidate. And he's on one of the most surprising teams in the NBA in I can't even imagine how long. It has been so long since I've seen a, a terrible roster perform so well to start the year. Now, that being said, Colin Sexton is an absolute dog on the court. 
He's averaging 14 points per game coming off the bench, and he's by far the best bench defender in the NBA. They don't call him the young bull for no reason. Colin Sexton at number three. Number two, and I'm going to get a lot of hate from both sides. Number two is Draymond Green. Now, like I said, I'm getting hate from those guys like, oh, Draymond Green is an all-star. I'm getting hate from, oh, Draymond Green is so overrated. I think he's perfectly defined in what he is and what he isn't. I genuinely think that Draymond Green is the best role player of all time. He controls the floor on both ends of the court and is the best defensive player in the 2010s just because of his IQ, his versatility to guard all five positions, and his reliability. Now, Kawhi is the best defender I've seen in the 2010s, but he missed a ton of time. So that's why I've got Draymond up there. But anyways, back to what I was saying. Draymond Green, he's got the rock at the top of the key. He can make the occasional three. He can make the occasional layup. But where he comes in the most handy is he is the leader of this Golden State Warriors team, emotionally and physically. That's such a huge part of the Warriors' success over the past eight to ten years. And that's why I think he's probably the most important role player of the last decade, at least. But he has now been surpassed for who I think is the best role player in the NBA. This is my Defensive Player of the Year candidate, my favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year. Number one, Herb Jones. I'm pretty much just making an all-defensive team lineup with this top five list, but I think that's a big part of what it means to be an NBA role player now. A key part of being one of the best role players in the league is by filling the gaps that your star players leave. And star players nowadays, they leave a lot of gaps when it comes to playing defense. Herb Jones, he does it all. He's the primary defender on the best player on the opposing team. Whether that's Devin Booker or Paul George or Klay Thompson or Stephen Curry or whoever it is, he is clamping them up. He gets steals, blocks, he dives at balls. And that's all coming back from his Alabama roots where he was constantly the hard hat award winner of the game. Now the hard hat, for those who don't know, is an award given to an Alabama basketball player by the head coach Nate Oates for who can make the most hustle plays, like diving for balls and getting steals and taking charges. Herb Jones does all of that and now it's ingrained in his blood. He's becoming priceless to this New Orleans Pelicans team. Right now, they hold the number two seed in the Western Conference, and I genuinely think almost all of the credit has to go to him and Zion Williamson. He's taken a massive leap in his second year, and I think that Herb Jones is the best role player in the NBA right now. This was probably one of my favorite lists to make. Let's get in to the best part of the show. The greatest locks of human history. Nothing is more guaranteed than Plaisant's locks. Tonight, we've got a four-teamer. We're banging it home. We're going four for four. Book it. First up, Gonzaga minus 23.5 versus Montana State. Gonzaga is coming off the high of winning against one of the best teams in the country in Alabama. But they're 5-0 and in home, and they're winning by 20 points per game. And they've also played much better teams at home than Montana State. They play teams like Kentucky and Washington, that are bringing those totals down. Anytime Montana State has played an, an equal or better talented opponent this year, they've lost. And they're 1-4 on the road, and they're losing to non-Power 5 teams by 14 points per game. 
I think this is such an easy pick. I love Gonzaga minus 23 and a half tonight. Next up, we're going college football on a Tuesday. Clubs going up on a Tuesday. Toledo minus three and a half. You freeze. He's officially left Liberty for Auburn. And Liberty has lost their last three games and was destroyed by New Mexico as the rumors swirled around that Hugh Freeze was leaving the program. Now, on the other side, Toledo had a solid year finishing the season 8-5, and five, and they had a great bounce-back game in the MAC Championship, beating Ohio 17-7. I love Toledo right here. I think that they're going to perform extremely well down in Boca Raton, Florida. Toledo minus 3.5. That's a quiet lock but a good one. Next up, going right back to college basketball. Air Force plus two and a half versus Northern Colorado. Air Force has won seven of their last eight, and they're a disciplined team who shoots 48% from the floor. They play tons of defense, and they play tons of hustle ball. That's what you like to see from an underdog type team. They average 12.4 blocks and steals per game, and it's pretty simple here. This team is much more talented than Northern Colorado, they're from Colorado. It's not that big of an away game, and Northern Colorado doesn't have a big home crowd. They're also five and six. I don't buy it. Give me Air Force in the points, plus two and a half. Last but not least, Heat minus four versus the Bulls. This Bulls team is falling apart, and this Heat team is coming together. Lonzo being out for potentially the rest of the year is almost a death sentence for this Bulls team, who is teetering out of the playoffs. The Heat are starting to put the pieces back together. Like I said, they've won five of their last six. Meanwhile, the Bulls have lost seven of their last nine. Tyler Hero, speaking of which, has been playing a monstrous type of NBA game. I mean, he's playing chess and these other players are playing checkers. He's averaging 26 points per game in December, and that's on 49% from three-point range. 49%. Get that through your head. That's allowing Jimmy Butler to take a step back, and that's why I think this Miami Heat team is about to take off. Heat minus four. All right, and last but not least, we are going to get right back in to our NBA top 100 players of all time. Number 93, Sidney Moncrief. This man was a five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA team, five-time All-Defensive team, and two-time Defensive Player of the Year. He played the majority of his career on the Milwaukee Bucks in the 1980s that dominated the decade. I didn't know this until I looked it up a few hours ago. The Milwaukee Bucks had the third best win percentage of the 1980s. I would have thought it was the Celtics or the Pistons, but no, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. It's incredible. Now, in this top 100 list, this guy probably had one of the shortest primes that I can think of, one of the shortest, like, dominant portions of his career, but the dominance was so important that I had to put him in this list. He had a five-year run, like I said, five All-Stars, five All-NBA teams, five All-Defensive teams, and two Defensive Player of the Years. There's not that many other players in the NBA who have a five-year stretch like that. Not to mention, he's probably the best guard defender of the 1980s, and guess who he kept in check to start his career? Michael Jordan, the heir to the throne, the so-called GOAT. Sidney Moncrief clamped him up and beat him in the playoffs twice. That's why Sidney Moncrief, to me, makes this top 100 list. And that's going to do it today from Plaisant's podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you 
next time.